are continuing our series in Revelation today. And last week we saw Babylon come to complete destruction. Babylon is quite the popular location uh, in Scripture, getting close to 300 mentions. Only Jerusalem gets more mentions than Babylon uh, in the Bible. Uh, just for reference, in third place would be Jericho with less than 70. So that'll be on the quiz uh, later on today. Just kidding, there's no quiz. Uh, but the point is that Babylon dominates, pun intended, dominates the story of the Bible. Babylon is a place, it's an empire, and it becomes a metaphor for all that is evil and sinful. So last week, Pastor Phil pointed out that in Revelation, Babylon comes to represent several things. So he said that Babylon is the woman, the city, the empire, and the system. So just to be clear that in Revelation, when we talk about Babylon, we mean all of the above, right? So it, it can be any and all of those things. Uh, in English, cities uh, and other languages too, but in English too, cities get feminine pronouns. So we always refer to places as her or she. And this is most unfortunate because since Babylon is a terrible place, uh, it's not just represented as a woman, as in her sins were many, meaning the place, but the city comes to be seen in Revelation as a prostitute. Um, women also get uh, personified as, uh, or w wisdom also gets personified as a wisdom, uh, or as a woman, there we go. Wisdom gets personified as a woman in the scripture, so women, we just have to take the, the good and the bad here. But, um, so in Revelation, then, because of how evil Babylon is, uh, she, it comes to be represented then by this, this uh, sinful woman, this prostitute. It was the uh, empire, though, of Babylon in the Old Testament that was a very real place. It was Babylon, the empire, that came and took the people of Israel into exile. It was Babylon, the very real place that burned the temple of God in Jerusalem, burned the palace, the walls, the homes, and then pillaged what was left of Jerusalem. God had told his people in the Old Testament that they would be punished if they failed to obey him. The prophets then made it clear that they had disobeyed, and punishment was coming in the form of captivity by Babylon. And then the exile to Babylon happens just as God said that it would through his prophets. The glory of God departs the temple as the people are banished from Jerusalem. But then God reminds his people that he has not forgotten them, and he promises to bring them back and to restore them. And the prophets say that God will then punish Babylon for her treatment of Israel. In fact, Isaiah chapters 13 and 14 say very similar things to Revelation 17 and 18. So Isaiah said that Babylon, the real place, will be overthrown by God, that she'll never be inhabited again, that God will choose Israel and resettle her, but Babylon will be cut off with no survivors, no offspring, and no descendants. So now, in Revelation, John's readers know all about Babylon. 
They know how Babylon represented all that would come against God's people. They know that Babylon had tried to destroy them, how Babylon had been the place that separated God's people from God's presence, how for 70 years while the people were in Babylon away from Jerusalem, no sacrifice for sins could be made because the people of Israel were removed from the temple. Babylon was exile and separation from God. Babylon was idolatry with an I and adultery with an A, hence the prostitute as a mascot. Babylon was sin and persecution. Babylon was evil, and it was bent on destruction of everything that God's people stood for and everything God had given his people, like the land. But the people in John's day knew the real Babylon had fallen just as God had said. Because even in John's day, Babylon, the real place, has been gone for hundreds of years. Which gave the people in John's day faith to believe that God would deliver his people once more. And once more, all that was threatening to hurt God's people, all that was trying to lure his people to worship the beast, trying desperately to separate men and women from God, would one day also be thrown down once and for all. And it was. So John writes, in one hour, she, the city, has been brought to ruin. So rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. For God has judged her for the way she treated you. And then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. And the passage goes on. The music of Babylon will never again be heard. No one will ever work or trade there again. The light of a lamp will never shine there again. No one will ever get married or raise a family or have anyone to inherit land again. It was all gone. And the people of God could now rejoice. They'll never be separated again. The apostles could rejoice. Babylon will never lead anyone astray again. The prophets of old could rejoice. It happened again just as it was in our day. And the prophets like John could rejoice in advance. It will happen again just as God has said. But in Babylon... In her was found the, prof the blood of prophets and of the saints and all who had been killed on the earth. The blood of the martyrs who would not worship the beast was found in Babylon. She ate them. This is a disgusting story. I mean, seriously. I, of all the stories, this is a really gross one. Literally, that's what they're telling us. She ate them. In chapter 17, verse 6, the, we're told the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And those saints were the ones we first met under the altar in chapter 6. John had written, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you'll judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait just a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. 
And now, what John sees in chapter 18 is that this time has been completed. He sees that the wait is over and Babylon has fallen. And then John says, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. It's the only place in the New Testament where we read this Hebrew word, meaning praise God, and it's on repeat. It's a chorus of hallelujahs in chapter 19. The great multitude, which we now know each time we read, is made up of every nation and tribe and people and language and color. We know that every time we see that multitude, what they're going to be doing, they're singing praises to the Lamb. So Michael Gorman said in his book on Revelation, it is not accidental that Revelation as a book of worship is filled with songs or that so many Christians through the centuries have composed hymns and songs based on Revelation. Those who follow the Lamb are a singing people. Our praise is joyful but also serious because singing something like worthy is the Lamb is a political act. And the political power of the act is greater because it is sung. For others can join the chorus and fix it in oral memory. We're a singing people. It's a political act because we're showing allegiance to our real king, our true king, Jesus. Singing is our weapon, for we sing as a means of fighting against the enemy. It is our victory celebration because we sing in response to the victory the Lamb has won for us. And it is a way of remembering and rehearsing again and again all that God has done and all that God will do because stories set to music just have a way of getting stuck in our memories, right? It's easier to remember, even if you're not a singer, it's easier to remember things uh, if you set them to song. So right now, if you need me to tell you the nine fruit of the Spirit from Galatians, I'm going to need to sing them to you in King James. Uh, yeah, temperance that comes in there, right? Because that's how I learned them in children's church uh, here, right? So we've taught the, the kids uh, the kids upstairs, they know a completely different song, and, and sometimes I get very confused then on the, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, because now we're singing uh, it, it in a more of an NIV style song, uh, and it's much more upbeat, right? If you need me to uh, to tell you the Ten Commandments, I'm going to need to start with number one, we've just begun, God, yeah, right? So I'm going to need to sing that. No joke, taking my ordination test. I was singing that song as I wrote that down because that's what ministers do. We remember things when they are set to music. We're singing people. We rehearse the faithfulness of God in our songs. So what are the hallelujah songs that the multitude begins to sing in chapter 19? I am so glad that you asked. Number one, they sing hallelujah, God is faithful. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So admittedly, this song is probably not going to be the text of the next great worship song that gets radio airtime, right? I mean, those are some awkward um, words, you know, to be singing in corporate worship. But still, 
It's a good song. The song exalts the Lord who has been true to his word. How long was the question in Revelation 6, and it has now been asked and answered. God did what he said he would do. He brought salvation. He was glorified. It was his power and his alone that brought about this victory over evil and sin and its long reign. And when we look around us and we begin to see difficulties that rise up against us in our own day, when we look and we see that evil seems to be winning, or when it seems like we've been cast out or abandoned, when it feels like to us that God is distant or has not heard our cries for relief or deliverance or for help, we can still stand with the multitude and sing hallelujah, for God has been faithful God will be faithful again, and God is still faithful today. That's the song that we sing. Secondly, we sing hallelujah. We are forever united with Christ. And again, the people shouted hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, this is also an odd song, but it's catchy because it's easy words. It's just got the one line in it. Um, it'll eventually get up on the screen. But it's just this one line that forever and ever the smoke goes up. And when, there it is, right? So it's just the one line. Uh, but when we realize what this song implies, it makes it one of my favorite songs. You see, Isaiah had seen the smoke that would rise up hundreds of years before from the very real Babylon. He, too, had prophesied of coming judgment on the nations. Isaiah had written, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution to uphold Zion's cause, and it will not be quenched night and day. Its smoke will rise forever. From generation to generation it will lie desolate, and no one will ever pass through it again. Never again, Isaiah says, will we, the people of God, be exiled or driven from God's presence. The chance for exile, the threat of separation from God, that's what goes up in smoke forever and ever. Because instead, we'll be dwelling forever and ever with our God. The song is telling us exile is over. The reign of darkness has ended. And Isaiah then saw God's people returning. And that's when Isaiah writes, the ransomed of the Lord will return and they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And several of you were singing that verse right there because we rehearsed that in our mind because it's a song as well. You see, no one except God's people will be living in the promised land of heaven. The smoke from Babylon goes up forever and ever. It's not returning. It's over. It's done. It's an indication that while sin has had its moment, God has won the day and ransomed his people forever. That's what it means that the smoke from Babylon goes up, the chance for exile, the opportunity for being separated from God is completely ended, will never be separated again. There is nothing that can separate us from God. And so we enter heaven singing hallelujah. 
the third song that we sing is hallelujah for God is worthy of our praise. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. This song is the praise break. It's the chorus. The third song is all praise. We've entered into Zion with singing. Gladness is now overtaking us. And the multitude began to worship the Lord because they realized what it meant for them to now and forever be in God's presence. The people of God are now joining with all of heaven, those 24 elders representing all of God's people from all of time, the four creatures representing all of creation. They're always there before the throne. And that's where we are again. We're in the throne room where constant praise is heard. Praise the Lord, all you servants, every one of you, small, big, important, always behind the scenes, the ones who got the glory, the ones no one ever knew about, great and small, but servants, all of them, God-fearing men and women, that's who begins to lift their voice in praise. They had all been redeemed, and so they were all recruited to be part of the choir part of the multitude that is always worshiping the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. Because as I say quite often, either God is worthy or he's not. And if he's worthy of our praise, then let's praise. And so the people did. And the last hallelujah song was hallelujah, the wedding has begun. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude it was like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns and let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear and fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The sound of heaven filled the space Rushing water, thunder, all an indication that God's glory is arriving. The praise has already begun around the throne. Everyone is praising God because he's worthy and he reigns over all. And so now they're rejoicing and they're giving God all the glory because he's been faithful and he's been true to his word. His dealings with his people have been just He's banished evil, so there's no more exile ever again. And I just need you to get that one point, that one thing, because I need you to understand in two minutes what I have been celebrating for a week. <laughs> that exile is over, and so that means then that, that that fear that we have, that something is going to separate us, that feeling that we'll be condemned or that shame will be brought on us or that we'll somehow be separated from the love of God, that can never happen. Sin can never enter into the presence of God. The opportunity then for something to try and lure us away or get us distracted, it's all gone. It's all gone. Every bit that we have wrestled against, everything that has tried to persecute us, that has tried to come against the people of God, it's all gone. Everything that has tried to tempt us or, or steer us away, gone, over, finished, up and 
smoke. Exile is no more. That's what we begin to celebrate, and that's what begins to happen. His dealings with his people have been so just. And then someone announces that the wedding is about to start. And the multitude then, those 24 elders, all of creation, the whole multitude, all of them begin to realize all of these other songs, they've just been the opening act. And then in the Sarah version, not so much the NIV, but in my version then, what someone says is, let's get this party started, right? This is the party of, the, of all of history. This is the wedding uh, of, of all time. And the bride is here now, and the groom has been waiting a really long time. But look at this bride. She's the opposite of the woman in Babylon. You see, the prostitute of Babylon was clothed in fine linen, but it was of purple and scarlet. She was glittery. Sue's laughing because she knows exactly where I'm going with this. Y'all, I have always believed in my heart that glitter was from the devil. <laughs> it turns out it is. Okay, that's separate. That's also not in the NIV. <laughs> she's glittery and she's dressed in purple and scarlet. But the bride, well, she's dressed in linen that is bright and clean. And she stands in stark contrast. The prostitute arrives on a scarlet beast covered in blasphemous names that had seven heads and ten horns. But the bride, she's arrived to the sound of a multitude of voices raised in song, accompanied by thunder and rushing water, and she is there to meet the lamb, the real lamb who died for her and who has now been given the name above every other name. The beast, we're told in chapter 17, verse 8 once was now is not and yet will come but the lamb well he was and is and is to come for he is the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end because before the beast there was the lamb and after the beast the lamb will still be standing the prostitute is dressed up to hide her filth, but the bride was given her clothes by the lamb, and her clothes didn't just cover over her sin, they washed it. She's dressed in white, made so by the blood of the lamb. The prostitute's sins, chapter 18 says, are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes, but the lamb was slain to purge purchase the bride from her sin and the bride's sins have been removed and remembered no more. Truly, there is no comparison between the prostitute of Babylon and her beast and the bride of Christ and her lamb. So now all of history, from the Garden of Eden to the people rescued out of Egypt, through the exile to the first Babylon, through the waiting for the Messiah, and all the way until now and our current moment of longing for Christ's second appearing, we've all been waiting for this wedding. And it's truly the wedding of all time. It's the moment where all of our hopes are realized, our joys are made complete, and are real life begins. But notice, the bride was given her wedding clothes by the lamb, but she made herself ready. 
And she did this by keeping herself pure for this moment, by living according to the word of God, and by keeping her eyes on the lamb and not getting distracted by all that glitters but cannot save and all that Babylon tried to offer. He gave her the clothes, but she had to prepare herself. And who is this bride? We are. The church is. And so we have to make sure that we're ready. And this morning, eight people are going to say, we're making sure that we're ready. We're committing to love Jesus for our whole lives. We've been baptized into his family. We've been washed clean and given new clothes to wear. We're all announcing those of us who have had our sins covered over and, and cleansed and washed away by the blood of the Lamb. We're declaring we've been forgiven and we've been made righteous, not because of what we have done, but by the work of Jesus. But yet, we still have to live in such a way that we prepare ourselves for that final moment because we don't want to miss it. It's going to be incredible. Sin will never touch us again and we'll be united with Jesus forever and ever and the event of all history will take place. But wait, there's more. Not only are we the church, the bride at the wedding, but we're also the invited guests. And then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. We've been invited to the greatest wedding of all time. Never has there been a wedding like this before. Never will there be one like it again. But there's two things you need to know about this wedding. Number one, you have to RSVP. You have to accept the invitation. You need to let him know that you're coming. You need to let him know to prepare a place for you at that great banquet. You have to accept the invitation to attend by letting Jesus come and cleanse you of your sins. And if you haven't done that today, you can. Or maybe you've prayed that prayer before and you've let him cleanse you with those clean robes to wear and you've let him give you those robes, but you've not been making yourself ready. You've not continued then to make those preparations in your life and you need to get some things right and you can do that today because there'll be plenty of time. We're done early because we got so much to do in the second service so we tried to balance all of that out. So there's plenty of time today to get things ready before Sunday school. There's gonna be an opportunity and if you need to come to the altar and pray, if you need someone to pray with you, our pastors will be available, but if you just need to come and just spend some time at the altar saying, Lord, I just need to make sure that I'm ready, that I've done everything that I can do to make sure that I'm in that place where I am following you, where I'm not getting distracted, where I, if I need to kind of correct course and get my eyes fixed back on Jesus, we can do that today to make sure that we're living according to his word, that we're walking in holy and impurity. But here's the second thing you need to know about the wedding. You're the wedding singer. It doesn't matter if you can sing or not. In heaven, you can. And you'll be singing. We're all going to be singing a chorus of hallelujahs. And so we're going to raise a hallelujah this morning as a warm-up. So would you stand with me today? And these Kagi students are going to lead us in a moment of worship as we close this morning. And we're going to begin now 
to raise a hallelujah. We're going to begin to worship because the Lord is worthy of our praise, because he is the one who deserves all that we have to give him this morning. We're going to begin to raise a hallelujah because salvation and honor and glory belong to him. We're going to begin to raise a hallelujah because he's been faithful to us and he'll continue to be faithful. We're going to raise a hallelujah because exile is banished and there will never be anything to separate us from God's presence ever again. So let's raise a hallelujah this morning.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just lift our voice to him? Just raise a hallelujah. If you don't have anything else to say, just lift that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. We lift our voice, Lord. We raise a hallelujah to you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. There's hope for us today, Lord. Our hearts are encouraged today, Lord. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day when Babylon is defeated, when the possibility of exile is no more, when sin is no more, when there's no longer a tempter or temptation, Lord, when our hearts redeemed by the Lord and our minds redeemed and renewed, Lord, when we're clothed in your likeness, Lord, and fine linen, bright and clean, Lord, when we stand in your presence, oh, what glory that's going to be, Lord. We rejoice in that because what we can see today, Lord, we're experiencing today. We know there's a final moment, but Lord, we, we experience it by faith today that our sins are forgiven, that we stand complete in you, and that we can raise that hallelujah now, and we can purpose in our heart that we're going to serve you and live for you, Lord. We won't be disappointed. My, what awaits the people of God that choose to walk with you. Oh, we bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've made our hearts glad in you, Lord. We bless your name today. Blessed be your name, Lord. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, and he leads you in a path that is right and righteous. He leads you in a straight path. He leads you in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He leads you so that your heart is comforted even in times of stress or distress. For the Lord's voice is heard in your heart and in your spirit, and you know it's him calling you. Come and follow me. Come and be faithful. Walk in obedience, for I've prepared all the joys of the Lord for you. So trust in the Lord. Walk with him. Stay Steady your heart. Don't be afraid, but walk knowing that the Lord is leading his people to a safe land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're leading us. You're taking us home one of these days. We rejoice in you today, Lord. We rejoice in you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 God's good all the time. All the time. And we can trust him. This has been a this has been a week of home goings for, for folk. I tell you what, I started out the week, a classmate of mine uh, called and, and a mutual friend and classmate had passed away and, and home to be with the Lord. And we got this word about Tom Green and ORU folk. We learned yesterday about Dr. George Gillen uh, going to heaven. I learned yesterday that Russ Spittler, a great theologian, AG scholar, had passed away. And I was like, Lord, you're just taking all these people to heaven and leaving the rest of us here. Why don't you just come get us all and, and take us on to heaven? Ah, and that just made me even want to get there sooner. Amen. And uh, so I'm, I'm just fixing my eyes on Jesus. He's going to come and get us. And I'm telling you, don't miss heaven. All right. My, my little grandma used to tell her kids, children, don't miss heaven. If you miss heaven, you've missed everything. You don't, you don't want to miss heaven. 
So if you're not ready to meet him, if you're watching online, if you're not ready to meet him, ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sins. Put your hope in him. If it seems really, really dark where you are, look to Jesus and watch as he begins to give light to you even in the midst of the darkness. He's there and he loves you. He's got good things in store. Hallelujah. Well, Sunday school, so you've got plenty of time to get coffee before that, or you can go out and talk to a goose that's out there if you notice when you came in this morning. Watch where you walk on your way to your car this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for raising a hallelujah. Great job, youth uh, there. And uh, so anyway, blessings on you. We'll see you uh, here in a little bit. If you come back in for the baptism, go to Sunday school. Be safe out there. Blessings on you.